Yes, what is it like to live there in the West Bank when it's not poised on the cusp of a crisis, a bigger one than usual? Well, a Palestinian man is living in Melbourne right now who can give us a personal account. Mohammed Asadeh is a political scientist specialising in public policy. He's accompanying his wife, who's studying for her master's at the University of Melbourne, and they're due to return to Ramallah, the West Bank capital, in December. He spoke at a Sydney function last weekend organised by the innovative not-for-profit group Project Rosanna, founded here 10 years ago. Israeli, Jewish and Arab representatives collaborate via it on providing medical services and training between the West Bank and Israel. He sits on its board. Welcome now, Mohammed, to Saturday Extra. Thanks very much for having me. It, it must be very hard right now, sitting so far away and watching the precariousness of your homeland. How are you managing? Well, it's, it's a very tough time, um, I believe, for everyone. And um, I have friends in, in Gaza. I have family and friends in the West Bank. I'm in uh, constant um, um, you know, contact with them. So that's very hard. Also, my wife here and the, the community, they're going through a very tough time. Um, but I try to be uh, optimistic, even though this is probably the most difficult time to be optimistic. Um, but uh, I hope both we will have um, another opportunity to make peace one day. Well, we're going to come back to your optimism in a moment. Uh, I do notice there seems to be a lot of anger about the Palestinian Authority too, as well as the Israelis. Um, does that surprise you? I think interestingly, the, the, the Palestinians and the Israelis are very frustrated at their leadership because what everybody considers, considers as a military failure, it's not really a military failure, it's a political failure. And what that means that the leadership in Palestine and Israel have failed in reaching a peace agreement. Now, Israelis could blame the Palestinians, the Palestinians could blame the Israelis. The fact is that the situation we are in is because of the failure of the leadership and the international community to put an end to the military occupation and to uh, the cycle of violence that's been going on for decades. And the one who pays the price at the end are the civilians. Do young people in particular feel trapped by this failure that you describe? Absolutely. And this is not new. Um, it's been going on for a very long time. And I could see the difference. You know, I left Palestine the first time in 2014 after the war on Gaza. And um, um, I remember that time when I left, almost everyone in the Palestinian community supported a political party. Uh, the youth were politically active. I went back to Palestine after I finished my studies in public policy. And I was actually shocked how much distant, they, how, how much the youth distant themselves from, the poli uh, from uh, politics. They were not interested. The popularity of the political parties were at its lowest point, and the Palestinian youth were just trying to create an, open, an opportunity out of nothing. But, you know, there was so much hope. There were, and still, there are business incubators, startups in Gaza, in the West Bank, in several places. And that's what kept me um, optimistic for a long time. Now, you did mention last weekend that actually a lot of people are joining new, small, sometimes tiny political groupings. Tell us more, please. 
Sure. You know, I think one of the problems with this um, situation has been is that the international community deals with Palestine, Israel um, as a seasonal uh, issue. Uh, we remember Palestine and Israel uh, every few years when there is a new crisis or a new war. Um, and that's really a very problematic. A deep analysis of the situation. You know, if we compare the last elections Palestinians had in 2006, back then there were uh, six political parties competing during the elections. In 2021, when President Abbas announced the elections in Palestine, there were 30 independent lists of candidates. 30. So from zero to 30. And it was all youth. Um, women had a huge role to play, very competitive, amazing ideas, so much energy and optimism. That was a lost opportunity for the Palestinians, unfortunately. But we still say that elections are more needed today than ever. Well, of course, that election was called off ostensibly because of COVID. Um, but, uh, yes, a huge lost opportunity. Just tell us more. So these young women in particular, um, where have they been um, emboldened? I mean, who, who's been educating them, as it were, to, to, to consider taking part like this? Yes, I think, you know, surprisingly, there are so many misperceptions about, the, about Palestine, the people and the institutions. Um, they've been edu- those who have been educated by the Palestinian institutions. And one of the misperceptions people have is that Palestine have um, inefficient, corrupt institutions. Now, that's not entirely true. These are some of the most efficient institutions in the Middle East, and that's what the Palestinians are depending on. And I'm saying this because people have access to electricity and water 24 hours the whole year. That's in the West Bank mainly. That's what I'm talking um, about right now. Um, We have one of the highest rates of educated people in the Middle East. More than 90% of the Palestinian houses connected to um, internet, including refugee camps. And there's so much has been done by those institutions to support the Palestinian people. And that's what people don't focus on. So those women been educated by the Palestinian education system. That's at the but university, now, the university there in particular, I take it, you mean, do The you? schools and the universities and also internationally, just like my wife, she's here in Australia on a scholarship from the government studying public policy, and she can't wait to go back to Palestine and to contribute. The majority of the students in Palestinian universities are women. In some specializations, it's around 70% including engineering, um, um, medicine, and um, other sectors. And that's, you know, what keeps us hopeful and optimistic of a future independent Palestinian state. So if there is a ground invasion uh, in Gaza and, you know, we we have a lot of uh, terrible trouble to come, maybe, does all of this get put at risk in the West Bank or not? It's actually already been at risk for several years, so... This didn't start just two weeks ago. People don't realize that the situation in the West Bank been boiling for a long time, and now it's more dangerous than ever. Uh, it's very risky that everyone is focused only on Gaza. Now the West Bank is under blockade. Um, <clears throat> violence is increasing. And I think that's the risk that in Project Rosanna we've been talking about. And that's why we're trying to push more for an Australian engagement to support the health system 
um, uh, especially in Palestine, and to be prepared for what's coming next. You did sketch very cleverly uh, a particular image that I think might help listeners. You said you might have, not far from each other, you know, quite contiguous in, say, a a, a big town outside Ramallah, you might have an IDF base, an uh, Israeli defence base, you might have a camp of refugees, you might have settlers not far down the road, and you might have the Palestinian Authority police force not far down the road as well, all having to basically share the space one way and the other, for good or ill. That isn't easy to relate to when you live here in Australia. I think the the complexity of the situation that people don't realise, they feel that Palestinians and Israelis live separate from each other and there are kind of two states fighting. That's not really the case. You have the West... Well, it is the case in Gaza, where Gaza has been under blockade for 15 years. Now, the situation in the West Bank, there's a, a small area, around one kilometer, one square kilometer um, on the entrance of Ramallah city. You have the largest Israeli military base in the West Bank. Next to it is a big Israeli settlement called Beit Il, and it's only probably 500 meters from where I live in Ramallah with my family. You have the president's office also around that area. The president lives, lives almost in the same one square kilometer. The danger here is that the uh, uh, there, there are so many guns in every settlement, mm. but there are also many guns, um, you know, that with, with the Palestinians. You know, if you have a wedding in Palestine, you would see probably 200 people shooting in, in the air celebrating. So it's, it's not really surprising that with the escalation that we are seeing to this level, that Palestinians and Jewish settlers will be shooting at each other very time soon. We've seen in Hawara town a few months ago, um, uh, a huge group of Jewish settlers, they raided the, the town, burned cars, houses, and the Palestinians could start doing the same in those settlements. And we'll see something that's very, very ugly if, we, if the international community doesn't put an end to this. And I think in Project Rosanna, we're still saying we have few sectors where we could contribute to positively, and uh, well, that's through health. Mm. Um, we can't really stop the conflict, but what we can do is to make sure that the institutions are communicating to each other, are prepared for such um, a situation, and hopefully we will have rational politicians who will make sure that we don't get there. Um, to that state. Now, you're from the Territory, so I assume you don't have a passport. You probably have papers, do you, issued by the Israeli government. I mean, does it allow you to travel into Gaza? Have you been to Gaza in the last few years? So that's a complex situation because almost every Palestinian, depends on where you live, has a different status. In Gaza, they have different status from the West Bank. In East Jerusalem, it's also a different status. What I have is... Something like a passport, it's travel document and says the Palestinian Authority, not Palestine. Um, And uh, travel has been, you know, very strict. I've never been to Gaza in my life. Um, And I I don't think probably 90 or more, more than 90% of the Palestinian young generation have been to Gaza or Gaza's been to the West Bank. Because it's been, of course, blocked off, hasn't it? It's been... um... You haven't been able to get in there and out. Uh, well, it's actually about 20,000 Gazans a day used to travel into Israel to work, I read. That's right. And around 150,000 from the West Bank to Israel um, on a daily basis. Now, all of that has stopped. Mm. Um, look, 
what we it was a very interesting man on RN Breakfast, our sister program, uh, Yossi Bellin, who was uh, involved in the Oslo Accords from Israel. And he suggested that ideally to his eyes, uh, hopefully after all of this awful uh, violence I suspect is about to happen, the PLO would move back into Gaza to govern it after the war's over. It did govern it until 2007. Now, I know this is a a little way ahead, but I'd be keen to hear your thoughts as to whether that would be a good thing? Well, that's a good question. I don't think this will be uh, just a good thing. I I think this is the only way forward. Um, and And I think, you know, the international community and the Palestinian young generation have been investing so much into Palestinian institutions. You know, when we studied politics, they taught us there are three main elements of a state. There's the people, the land, and the institutions. And that's how important the institutions are. And it's not just that. I think the difference between a developed and developing country is the institutions. Wherever you have efficient institutions, you will have a strong, healthy, educated population. And um, that's the only for, way forward. What we need to start with is to make sure that the Palestinian institutions in the West Bank are not undermined, that they are strengthened. And I think there has the, the international community and many players in this field been distancing themselves from the Palestinian institutions. And I think that is very dangerous. The way forward is that we make sure that all parties apply the international law And whenever there's a problem, we go back to the international law. But we also need elections in Palestine, and we need to be governed by Palestinian institutions. And that's what really self-determination to Palestinians need. It's it's not just recognition and the land, but being governed by Palestinian institutions. All right. Well, let's live in hope. Uh, Mohammed Asadeh, we may speak again. Thank you very much for your time and reflections. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Mohamed Azadeh, who's a board member of Project Rosanna. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.